fear has a goal for you and if you were to kind of go through and understand what its goal for you is and you'd find that the goal for you would be incredible success the goal it would have for you would be to have a massively positive impact on the people who you can serve with this project Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, and I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world, others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence so you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and for today, we have a very special episode for a couple of reasons. First off is this is our first returning guest interview with Dr. Nick Lucas. Are you there, Nick? Nick? Yeah, I am. Hey, how you doing? Awesome. So glad to have you here. If you guys remember um, his episode from uh, last year, it, um, it was uh, we talked about a lot of cool things. But one of the other reasons why this special interview is Dr. Nick, I don't know if you knew this or not, but your episode is my number one listened to episode over the last year. So you're actually our most popular guest we've had on the show which is okay. uh, do, do I get a t-shirt cool. or something? <laughs> I was actually just talking about that with my mastermind uh, crew about, uh, about putting t-shirts together for guests that say, you know, I'm a hero or something like that on them. Um, so maybe you might actually get a t-shirt. <laughs> okay. I'll, uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep a look at it. It'll be, it'll be something arriving for me instead of my wife at the door. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for, uh, for those of you who've been following along with our adventures, um, we are finally out of the repair shop. We spent three weeks there. We're now back on the road and moving along. So this first episode we've recorded not in a repair shop in a while um, <laughs> on our travels. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with a quick introduction to Dr. Nick. He actually sent this over to me ahead of time. For those of you who don't know him, he's got all sorts of cool stuff. We'll get into his story a little bit here on the episode. But um, Dr. Nick is a formal neuroscience um, and pain researcher, university lecturer, and author who's transformed himself into a sought-after mindset and performance coach for entrepreneurs and business leaders. You've consulted with some of the largest companies in the world from health supplements, real estate, property and publishing and, um, and software, as well as individual entrepreneurs, startups, business owners and operators. Coached over 700 e-commerce store owners, thousands of health and fitness professionals and consultants who run businesses online. And basically he's living proof that his scientific approach to being extraordinary can work for anyone, which I'm pretty excited about to talk about a little bit today. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over some of this and come down to the bottom here because I want to talk about this. Um, you are a mindset, um, a mindsight coach, digital strategist, CEO of the Exton Entrepreneur, um, and you say that the quality of thinking determines the quality of your life, um, which is your new business and why we are bringing you back on to talk is a little bit about your new the new stuff that you're working on in your business. So why don't you start there and tell me a little bit about what X10 Entrepreneur is and the business process for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have already got something going. That, that's mostly who I work with, people who've got something that's, that's already um, operating. And the thing is, they just, they just don't realize how stuck they are. Or, or they do actually. I mean, they often just rock up and they say to me, Nick, um, I know what to do but I don't do it or it's not working. What the <laughs> F is wrong with me? That's the kind of thing. So when I was, you know, I was trying to look at who's the perfect avatar. It's someone who's sitting there going, what the is wrong with me? You know, that's the, that's the, the, the kind of person I'm working with at the moment. And in fact, um, it's what I've been doing or, you know, for about the last decade or so. And then before that, when I was consulting patients, when I was in practice, people in pain, um, it, similar kinds of things. You'd have people who'd come, they had their life going on. I'd help them get out, out of pain. They'd go back into their life, but their life really wasn't what they wanted to be living. It wasn't really what they were doing. So I really became far more interested in helping people optimize their life 
as opposed to just helping them get out of pain. You know, that there's a big difference between just getting well again, but actually thriving. And because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a professional, um, I tend to find myself working really well with that group of people. Um, and it's all about um, 10x or x10 their life. And I can go into a bit of um, a story about the background to 10x thinking, by the way, that the kind of the originator of the idea. Um, and that's why I've called it uh, x10 entrepreneur, because it's, it's not just about revenue, it's about their whole life um, being 10x, you know, which we can get into and talk about. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to talk about all those things. Um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about um, it's just because it's some, I think it's really fascinating is this idea of transition in, in entrepreneurship. Um, and I know that uh, that running the Exxon Entrepreneur up again as as sort of been a transition for you over this last year. I'm curious from a meta level, how do you how do you feel about doing that, making that kind of transition, and then what sort of you know as someone who's done that. Um, some of your advice for other people who are transitioning their business or maybe changing directions? Well, I think for me, um, you know, uh, there was certain, there was a certain direction I was finding myself wanting to go, but because of my involvement with other people, other businesses, you know, you, you, you're, you're trying to satisfy, uh, well, not satisfy, but live up to your responsibilities or commitments you've made to other people. And then that can begin to create that bit of a tug of war inside where you've got that cognitive dissonance about what you feel like you really want to be doing um, versus what you're currently doing. And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in their life, whether, whether they're in a career that they uh, don't want, or maybe they initially wanted and now they don't want, or whether it's a business, there's that, there's that resistance that begins to appear or that feeling inside. That's, that's that tug of war. Um, and, you know, there's always opportunity cost from doing one or the other. And it's just a, it's just a mental game that can play on your mind. Um, some days you've got the time to think about it. Other days you're just too busy in what you're doing to really give it the time it needs. And then all the effort you think it's going to take to have to put into transitioning back into to what you want to do. Um, all I can say, I guess, from, from my experience, having done this a number of times now, is that it always feels easier and better when you are um, answering that inner call to do what it is that you really want to do. Um, and... So even though it might feel like it's going to be a big leap, even though it might feel like there's a mountain to climb or an obstacle to climb, what you're doing is you're looking at the future and thinking, you know, that's going to be difficult or hard again, or am I going to have to start again or whatever it is. But when you actually get over that initial decision, it then becomes easy because you're actually working uh, in alignment with, with what's kind of deep inside. So I guess yeah. the, you know, the, the answer to the question is, is just take a moment, take half a day, take an hour for, for, for instance, you know, where you do nothing but actually sit and begin to contemplate. Am I, is the thing that's right in front of me right now that I'm doing, is it what's really fulfilling me or is there, what is this other thing inside that's prompting me to do something different? Yeah, I'm actually in the process of making that kind of transition in my business right now. Um, we chatted about a little bit ahead of time was, you know, my push button podcast business that we're rolling out. And I'm in that spot where I like, I have existing commitments with clients on the, the other business that I run, which is, you know, helping expert brands, um, you know, build and sell that kind of stuff. And it's like, I've also got this business that I'm building and growing. And I'm like, I have to worry about how do I keep all these commitments and spin this stuff down while still growing all of this. And I totally get that idea is like, you know, it's, it's overwhelming and it's kind of a hard thing to do is to transition what you're doing. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, uh, answering that call and actually doing it um, and getting it done has been very fulfilling. Um, but it's also like, it's taking a lot more time than I initially thought too, right? Like, you know, how, how long it takes to actually like accomplish a transition and keep everything satisfied and working and, you know, not blowing everything up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, when, when you take the, the first steps toward it, you can't predict what's going to happen, but there's definitely things you can do to, um, to make that goal uh, more achievable, more certain, more feasible. Um, and that's a lot of what I do with people. And I've had to do it for myself as well as going, okay, this new thing that I want to do, how much do I really want to do it? And, and how feasible is it? A lot of people run into things without, especially answering that second part of the question, you know, how feasible it is. Um, sometimes they, sometimes it's very feasible. They just don't know how, or sometimes they think it's really feasible and they haven't done enough homework to find out it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of obstacles. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, running into that is, uh, that's, 
the the danger you run into in any sort of transition is sometimes people get into um it's where you have like two two sides to that one is the i've got something that's calling me and i need to actually go and do this and make it happen because there's opportunity and it's going to fulfill me and then there's the other one is like what i'm doing right now is hard and it looks like the grass is greener on the other side right um and that's like sometimes you just need to push through and actually continue doing what you're doing so my my curiosity is how do you how do you know the difference between like you're just in a hard spot right now in your business and you need to push through and you know persevere versus I've got something that's actually calling me and I really need to you know do the research and make this transition yeah I, I guess I guess drawing on the three really major transitions and I think that's one of the things that that crops up when I coach especially especially professionals because I've spoken to a lot of those who who they're not really entrepreneurs I mean they're professionals they've got their own business but it's a it's a local business and and, and they're getting paid time for you know, uh, they're getting paid by the hourly rate. So it's not leveraged business, right? And it's mm -hmm. a professional career and they're in it. And it makes sense for them to keep doing that career. And so what they might do is is dabble on the side. And so it's not like a major transition really in that case. A lot of them are still doing their big career. They're still earning their six figures a year or whatever it is, consulting. And then they try to build a business on the side. Um, that's one thing. It's, it's a different thing entirely to transition completely from one career to another or from one business to another. And, and I've done that a couple of times. Um, and, and each of those times, one was when I, I was in practice and I ended up selling, it was a physical location. I, I, I sold the practice. Um, I quit my university job and then I went completely online. So that's a kind of major transition. Yeah. And it's happened a couple of other times as well. But each of those times, I've got to say for me, it was it was a lot to do with um, my honesty and integrity to myself and my values. And I think that's what I, that's what began to give me the urge inside to, to make what, what was that large transition was that I felt like by continuing to go on the path I was on, I was going to start trampling on my own values about how I felt about myself and who I wanted to be. So I, I, I guess by continuing to go along the path that looked good, that had all the trappings that made sense that I'd spent work creating and that started with good intentions. If I'd continued, it would have been going against my values. And so that was what I, I found. I just couldn't tolerate. I, you know, you only live once. Right. And I thought, what's the point of me continuing to live a life where I'm, I'm not being the person who I want to be. So ultimately that's what I think drove the major transitions for, for me um, because, you know, not, it wasn't opportunistic. It wasn't like, Oh, that sounds like a bit of a business. I might make more money there. The real transitions have come from that being true to, to what I feel like uh, who I want to be. So like being Do you relate yourself. to that? Yeah. Being true to yourself and really understanding it. Like, so, so the, the impetus for like my transition was realizing where my gift was right? Like where you're, you know, the zone of genius, so to speak. Um, and we talk about it on the show all the time, the whole idea of having a, uh, you know, your superpower, right? And realizing that one of my business, the business that I've been running and making my revenue in was based on derivatives of my skill set, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a space that I can really innovate in, right? Because it's a derivative space. Um, for me and realizing that I, I um, in the in the other area I can I'm really in my zone of genius with being able to develop systems and processes and move things forward and have you know have things that nobody else can have because it's in my zone of genius and be able to offer things to the market that way um, and that was really imp the impetus for change was realizing that hey this is more core to who I am um, and lets me like I said you know offer innovation in the space um, that I wanted to be in so Anyways, I, I see where, you know, that's, that's where, uh, where it was for me. It was, it, it was an internal like core thing. I could feel it. And I knew there, I can feel the difference in working in one business is working in the other, because I know one of them is really, it's hitting, you know, hitting on all cylinders, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the key thing about that as well, which is really interesting you talk about innovation is um, the Gallup Institute uh, did a whole lot of research on entrepreneurs and, uh, and, and they came out with their view about entrepreneurship not being so much about innovation, but being about the ability to actually take an innovative idea and make profit from it, like find customers or find buyers for that innovation or that idea and do so profitably. And, and of course, they speak to the fact that, you know, a lot of American history, they talk about what, what a great place of innovation it is, but there's lots of innovation, innovative people who are broke 
and, and yeah. the idea never got off the ground. So being able to combine that innovation with also the entrepreneurial skill to actually create a profit from it. I mean, I, I think it, it's a real sweet spot um, to be able to have both of those kind of existing in one mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was where, uh, where I was really excited because like for me, I noticed like my, in my my area is the systems and processes and we can actually, because of the process we've set up, we can accomplish in two hours what it takes normal people eight hours to accomplish or 10 hours. So the innovation is in a time savings and that time savings is really valuable to the market, right? Um, so we can, we can have both, the, the innovation is what leads to the market for, for, for my particular spot where we're looking at, um, which uh, lends itself nicely to hitting both of those, <laughs> both sides of that. Um, yeah, exactly. is both both innovation and uh, actually having a product or service and bringing it to market. Um, and I'm actually at the point now where like we've had our first couple of test clients and I have to actually like go to the market um, and see if uh, we actually can generate sales. Um, so, you know, our current clients are paying and they're happy and they're liking it, but they were very, very warm. So we're going to have to see how it goes when we actually go to the cold market with our, uh, with our innovations and see what the next steps are. Yeah, I mean that's the exciting part, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, it's the gut wrenching part. At the same time, exciting and scary. And yeah, to your point, you talk a lot about moving your business forward. Blocks that I find myself running into um, is I know we're right at that precipice where we have to start going to the market, and I've got a couple of things I need to get finished before we can go to market. And I find myself wanting to procrastinate on those because I know when I finish them, I have to go to the market, and that's scary. A bit of scariness is causing me to procrastinate. So, so if I was your patient, how would you doctor me? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I think, I think um, what happens is when you get that that feeling inside, that bit of fear. What we often do is, like you say, we we procrastinate, and I can relate to that, having done that very thing a lot of times myself. Um, and one of the really fascinating things um, that I do with my clients is actually investigate what that feeling is what that fear is because um, we can kind of go with this idea it's an aspect of you it's part of you right and so instead of it you know trying to push it away or ignore it or, or just let it sit there if you investigate it what i'm pretty sure we could we could cut through like an hour or two of, of a session together and understand that that fear has a goal for you and if you were to kind of go through and understand what its goal for you is, it, you know, if we were to personify it, right, as some other thing, it's got a goal for you. And you'd find that the goal for you would be incredible success. The goal it would have for you would be to have a massively positive impact on the people who you can serve with this project. And so if you could, you know, translate yourself past the initial blockage of the feeling of the fear, and that's what I do with people when I work with them, is to help them completely reframe what this fear is. And then, and then it kind of dissolves into a, an energetic drive um, to actually go ahead and do what needs to be done, to focus on those tasks that normally get put aside or left aside um, because of the fear. When, when you completely understand the fears on your side and it's got a really altruistic goal for you and the people that you serve, then, then it, it does dissolve. Because if you just stay at that superficial level of the fear, um, which is a real feeling, right? Um, but, but when you investigate it, uh, it, it really can dissolve and become an ally to you getting stuff done as opposed to an obstacle. So when you talk about investigating a fear, how do you actually like do that? Like find out in your head, like what, you know, what's causing the fear and what's the actual stuff behind it? Like, how do you, how do you actually do that kind of investigation? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if we were to take you, for example, what is the, what is the underlying concept or idea that is behind the fear? If you were so, to just take a moment to think about what it was. So my, the, the, the thing that pops up in my head is like, if I'm going to go to market, um, and, and like, it, it's weird. Cause I like, I know it's not true in my head, but like in my heart, I still feel it, um, is, is that if I go to market, people are going to be like, no, this isn't a good service. I don't see any reason why I could do this. I could just do this myself, that kind of thing. Um, and all those things are true, right? They could do themselves, but what we're doing is we're helping to save them, you know, a significant amount of time. And, um, you know, for me, like my, uh, um, my podcast never would have gotten to where it is today, right on our you know, 90th or 100th episode and, you know, growing, um, if I didn't have the systems in place, 
um, because I didn't like doing all the other work. And I've noticed a lot of other podcasters are the same way. They don't like all the work that goes in after you hit the stop record button. And if they yeah. could just do the part that they loved and have someone else handle everything else, they would be able to get their message to the market a lot better. So like, I know that in my head, but in my heart, my, like, I keep feeling, feeling this, this like, if I when you bring it to market, people are just going to be like, nope, I can do it myself. It's not worth the money. It's not that thing. I know that's all a bunch of bull crap, but in my head, that's where I keep going. So I see that fear and it's, it's, you know, it hasn't stopped me, but at the same time, it has caused me to procrastinate a bit on the last couple of things we need to get finished. But see, so, so what, what tends to happen, the, the, the reason we feel an emotion like fear is, is we feel it in our body. I mean, when you, when you think about it for a moment, do you actually feel that emotion as a sensation in your body? Even if it's small. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it feels like a, a tightness, right? Right around here in yeah. your chest or, you know, like a dropping in your gut or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So that that's that's the body that's we call that a behavioral response. So that's your body's body behaving in an automatic way. When you then begin to feel that and your your conscious awareness becomes aware of it, you then mm. recognize that as fear and then you intellectualize it. Or we do. We intellectualize it and we think, oh, that's right. Um, maybe I'm feeling this fear because other people might think that they can do this already or they won't find, find the value in it or whatever. So let's just, in, in the order of the way things go, let's go behavioral response of your gut. Then you become aware of what it is and then you think about it. What I want you to do is to think right back to, to past what, what it would be that's stimulating that initial gut feeling to happen in the first place. What's the, what's the underlying concept? It might not be described in, in intellectual words, but just as a general concept, what's the underlying concept that is triggering that, that kind of gut feeling? Rejection. Probably. Do you see how that, do you see how, how that's different than intellectualizing it with the, the, the other things about it? Like, Oh, you know, it makes sense. They might think they can already do it. It really comes down to rejection. Yeah. And so then you begin to, to, to look at that, that rejection side of it and investigate that. And you begin to say, okay, um, if you were to take it, if you were, forget about the business even for a minute, just for a minute, think about if someone says no to you, are you still okay? Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> so, so then, then you would say to yourself, okay, so if I'm fine, is, is my body's natural behavioral response here to the idea of rejection? Is that actually a valid, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a real response, but is, is that the, the response? If, if I'm actually going to be okay with, someone mm -hmm. saying no and of course we you know we, we can't dive it into too much much here but that that's the kind of thing you begin to do because when you investigate um rejection and you have a talk about it and there's processes we can do as well that that help to to kind of speed this up but you understand that you're totally okay if someone says no in fact they're entirely t entitled to say no they're a sovereign individual they can say no just like you're a sovereign individual who can do what, do your business you're, you're you are allowed to launch your business and make the offer they're allowed to say no if they say no you're going to be okay so if you're going to be okay and you think about also what's driven you to do this in the very first instance like the goal of all of this is to serve those people you know, you, you, I mean, you, 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 it's fairly uh, obvious thing to say because is your goal to not serve them? No, it's definitely to serve them and make their life better and easier and get their message out further. It, so. Exactly right. So, so you can feel really comfortable about the integrity and the, 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 the goodwill around this offer that you want to make and also know that you're going to be totally okay if they say no. And also it's completely their choice about whether they say no or not, you know. And so um, when you do that and you begin to begin to unpack this, this thought of rejection is actually what's, what's the fallacy that all the thought that you're not going to be okay, that something's going to go bad if they reject you, because you'll discover that it's actually not. And you could actually look back in your life and find lots of times when people have said no, said no, and you're actually okay. In fact, the question becomes now, can you ever remember a time when someone rejected you and you actually weren't okay? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> You know, and, and even if you had, even if you had someone rejected you and, and you felt bad for a while, if you were to go back and, and examine that time, you'd still find that even though you felt bad for a while, you were actually still okay. Like you as a person were actually okay. Yeah. yeah. Like so, the, the, the story that pops up in my head was uh, I had a fiance who gave me the ring back when we were, uh, um, when we were much younger. Um, and that was a, uh, 
big like rejection. Um, and it took me a couple of years to get over it, but I was fine and probably actually better for it. Well, well, that, and that's the really fascinating thing because our, our brain and our memory, like all of those things, all of those rejections in the past, of course, they're all just in the past and they exist, they kind of exist in our mind as neural circuits that we then recreate in the present. So that when you then are going to go and launch a business and you get that feeling, it's the same gut feeling that you get if someone you care about says no to you, right? And so all of that doesn't come back consciously. You're not intellectualizing that, but the emotional drive is the same kind of drive. You have a memory, this kind of anchored memory of, of that rejection. Um, and so, so that's why investigating the idea of rejection is really fascinating because then you go back and go, hang on, really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this is exactly the case in your situation, right? But you go, really what's happening is I'm feeling this rejection, but it's also drawing on this memory of when I got rejected in that way. And so now I'm allowing that other situation entirely to have an impact on the way I'm feeling about launching my business. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's like something your, your brain was, you know, pathways that were trained a long time ago that are just automatically being called forth again, whether or not they are actually relevant to the current situation. I, I had a, a client who was a, um, uh, starting a, a business where she needed to go on video. She's very successful in her other career, but she was starting an online business needed to go on video. And when it came to video, she just could not do it. Yet her whole business needed her to be in video. And so she'd been to a video, like a, a TV um, coach, you know, to, who gets people ready to go on TV and do interviews and that type of thing. And that hadn't worked, et cetera. And, you know, without having to do any big psychoanalysis, it came back to when she was in grade three at primary school, she was always the girl who got the top mark in class. And she rocked up one day with an assignment and handed it in so proud that she'd done it, not realizing that she was also then supposed to give a presentation. And she stood in front of the class speechless and just felt so embarrassed about standing in front of people to give a talk that she didn't know what to say. And that was what came up for her. And when we resolved that and just investigated that and talked about it, she realized she was yeah, pretty much letting that non-conscious memory, so to speak, create a lot of fear and anxiety around just being in front of a camera and being front, in front of people. And after that, she was really able to just go ahead and, and, and shoot video. I mean, there was still the skills to learn to do that. You know, what, let's just call it the normal nerves around being in front of a camera, but it wasn't amplified by this other unrelated, but, but very relevant fear that she had. Does that make sense? Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned when we first started talking about this, that you can, once you sort of investigate it, you can transition it and turn it into the driving force behind actually getting your shit done. So how, how do you make sort of that change? Well, there's a, there's a couple of uh, ways to approach it. Um, one way is um, the way I kind of already described where you, you investigate what this thing wants for you. What's its goal for you? And you ask yourself that question, like, what is the goal of the fear? And we could pretty much say, in your case, it's to protect you from being rejected, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can ask yourself, okay, well, let's just say that I'm not going to be rejected or that if I get rejected, I'm going to be okay. What's the next goal? What's the next higher goal? And begin to go through a process of that. You can sit down with a sheet of paper and actually kind of go through the steps. Like, okay, well, what's the next highest goal for it? Well, the next goal would be then, you know, and I'm just going to, you know, uh, make it up in my head, but it could be something like, well, um, I, I want to be safe. It wants me to be safe, right? Okay. So let's just say that you're safe and you're going to be okay again. So that's resolved. That's cool. What would the next goal be? Well, the next goal would be for me to take a risk. Okay. And so let's just say you took the risk um, and that was done. What would be the next goal? And you might go, well, really, ultimately it's, 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 um, I want to provide for my family and, and, and do what I love to do and be in my, my zone of genius, right? Okay, so if that was done, if that was achieved, what would be the next goal? And then, you know, you might come up with something like, well, really, what, why I'm here is to ultimately serve my clients to help them have a great outcome, okay? And what's the goal if you did that? What's the goal for that? Well, my clients are also having a great outcome. So my influence through them to the people they influence becomes huge. And you can see how the, the, what starts out as fear of rejection um, if you were to analyze it, you end up with a, with a goal that gets to its highest point and you begin to realize that, that this fear ultimately has a goal for you that is almost, you know, the, the opposite of what you um, conceived of at the, at the beginning. And then, and then when you understand that, you go, right, so really that's what I'm, I'm driven to do. And you get anchored to that, that higher goal. 
Um, and to bring in a bit of neuroscience um, as well, the, your frontal lobe, the, the decision-making part of your frontal lobe makes far better commitments when there's cognitive dissonance. So what we know from, from goal setting or what I call success setting is, because I just like to name things differently, right, is that people who indulge um, just, you know, fantasizing about what they want in the future, their chance of success isn't that great. It's the same as people who just dwell on the present and what's going wrong. They don't have much of a chance no. of success. But when you actually do this process called mental contrasting, which is where you really have a great idea of what the future goal is, and you look at the current situation um, and, and what needs to be done to get to that goal, even just those two are kind of opposites, right? There's where you are now and the obstacles you're facing, and there's where you want to be, which is nice and successful and happy. That, that dissonance or that contrast, that duality, helps your brain make uh, more lasting and stronger commitments to actually doing uh, the outcome. So that's why that one process I've described there is a great way of doing that because you start out analyzing and looking at this fear and instead of being afraid of it or just trying to will it away uh, with willpower and bravado and, and massive action and all that sort of stuff people talk about, by, by investigating it and going through a step process like that, you end up getting to a much higher goal that helps you um, neutralize its negative impact and turn it into that energizing factor. So that, that's just one approach um, that you can use that's, to help. That's really fascinating. That's probably like the most fascinating 10 minutes I've had in a long time talking about fear because I, like we talk all the time in business about putting things to their highest and best use. Um, right. And, you know, investment community, that's very, very common, right? You buy a house and we, you know, you fix it up and make it right. You're, you're trying to get it to its highest and best use. And, you know, when we talk about being a CEO, figuring out what your zone of genius is and putting each of your people and yourself in your zone of genius, it's all about being in the highest and best use. And you're talking about like all the way down to like, when you have a fear, like that fear has a highest and best use mm -hmm. and you can sort of elevate it. Right. And that's what we were talking about is how do you, what's, what's that, what's the, your body's and your mind's goal for that fear. And really taking it out to the, uh, you know, to its highest and best use. And you find out that really the reason you have that fear in the first place is because it's trying to get you or help you get to that place of success. You're, you're, it's, you're reframing it. Oh, exactly right. And so it's not trying to, it's not trying to force positive thinking because you don't sit there and go, right, I'm not going to investigate the fear. I will be successful. I will be successful. Right. Um, because that doesn't investigate the fear that just uses willpower and willpower is a limited resource, which is why people run out of it and then go back to, you know, alternating back and forward between fear and trying to use willpower and getting back on the horse and off and on back and forward. Investigating it helps to resolve it and, and gives you a much greater sense of self-awareness around why you might even have these feelings in the first place. And, and also, um, can substantially elevate the goal, which is the key thing I find with people. Often they'll come in and they'll have a goal, a stated goal. You ask them what they want and they'll tell you. When they go through a process like this that originates with a fear, they end up finding that they have a goal that they are far more switched on about, that's, that's far more desirable because they expand out what that goal really is um, and it's greater than, that, than what they started with. And that's another really key indicator of success is, is if you've got a goal that is highly desirable, you are far more likely to achieve it than if you've got a goal that's only somewhat desirable. Kind of makes sense. But um, yeah. even though it makes sense, of all the entrepreneurs I've coached so far doing this, none of them start out with the goal that they then end up with, right? Which is a goal that is far more energizing for them and for their brain and then for the, for the leader they need to be with the people they want to take with them on, on this journey. You know, so expanding that goal, um, understanding the fear that you've got, the obstacle that's there, dissolving that just makes the whole process far more fun, a lot more enjoyable and far more likely to succeed, right? Yeah, I can already, I can already see I'm going to have to spend a, spend a couple hours here with my notepad and write some things down about, about some of those because it's interesting that like, you, know, you, you run into fears all the time in your business and a lot of times, like to your point, those of us who have achieved success, sometimes we just power through them because we have willpower. Um, but you've just given, at least you've given me and hopefully our listeners, a tool that shows you how to actually work with that and actually use it to elevate yourself, um, which is really, really fascinating. So I sort of, I want to, I want to transition a little bit and talk about how does what we just talked about fit into what you do with X10 Entrepreneur? So what happens is people, people, um, have a goal for their business and 
you know, because I'm working with entrepreneurs and, and the goal for the business isn't necessarily just revenue related. It's very often around their life because they got into this because of the kind of life they imagined they might be able to have. And while they've created a successful business, um, they, they either haven't reached the business goals that they, they want or they've got the business goals but haven't achieved the life they wanted to achieve. And so that's why they're kind of perplexed because they're high performers, they've achieved stuff in their life and, and often very successful in the past and then they find themselves in this situation and they come to me because I do a session with them that, that really establishes where they are on the map. You know, I mean, and my analogy yeah. here is this, if you're, if you're lost in the wilderness and someone gives you a map, but it doesn't have an X that says you are in this spot, it doesn't matter if you've got a map, <laughs> you don't know where you, where you are, right? And so a lot of people are, do not have an honest understanding of where they are. And what's fascinating is one of the reasons they don't have an honest understanding of where they are is because of the fear they have around acknowledging where they are, right? Because they don't want to be wrong. They don't want to acknowledge their, their health, for example. Like they, they might be overweight. They don't want to acknowledge it. They might not be going to the gym anymore or they might be eating bad. They don't want to acknowledge it. They might be just pushing through and just not getting enough sleep at all over a long period of time. They don't want to acknowledge it. They might be being um, really shitty and being an asshole to their partner or their other business partners or whatever it is. And they really don't want to acknowledge it because they want to be right. And so because of this fear of being wrong or fear of admitting or looking bad or whatever it is, they don't take stock. They don't admit to themselves. But see, even using the word admit, if you, if you reframe the fear, then you, you're not admitting anything. You don't even need to use that language. You're just, you're just identifying where you are on the map so that you can then navigate your way out. And then that's, that's essentially what I help them do. So the way my business is structured, I have this intensive, it's called the X10 intensive, and it goes for eight weeks. And we start out with everyone going through this process so they understand where they are on the map, exactly where they want to be in a way I described, which is a goal that is so desirable that every, every part of their being is aligned with getting the goal. We also go through and understand how that goal could be feasible for them. So not just possible, but possible for them. And it's a really fascinating exercise to do because what I've discovered in every single person I do this with is that they can't describe all the steps they're going to need to take to hit that goal. There's all these blank spots. And that's why, you know, even if you map that out on a month by month basis, they'll go blank spot, blank spot. That's why you can hit a month and nothing gets done for a whole month because it was just a big blank spot in their mind about not knowing what to do. And that's not a mindset thing. That's literally a skills based, um, Thing that you can re help people recognize as well. Like, I just don't know what to do. I, I thought I knew how to do a webinar, but it's been a week, a month, and I still haven't got it done because I really don't know how to structure it. Do you see how that's a skill-based yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. And if you, don't, if you don't recognize what what that is, how can you plan to get it solved, you know? Um, so that that's what we do. And then we implement, we begin to implement. So at the end of six weeks, not only do they have a plan that they highly desire, that is entirely feasible, we also clear up a bunch of mindset stuff that always shows up along the way. And then they're kind of set and in momentum to tackle whatever goal it is that they, they set. And then I can continue working with them to, to help them implement uh, that plan or they go ahead themselves and, and do it themselves. Reminds me of like, like I, I went into this, the new business that I'm running with push button podcasts and like looking at like the things that I know I'm going to need to do. And like, look, thinking about blank spots, right. I, I was like, one of the other fears that I have is I recognized blank spots. Uh, it's like I know when we hit x number of clients and I've got all this written down I'm going to need to hire a project manager and then I'm going to need to hire someone who's like you know I'm going to need to work on team expansion and stuff like that and I'm like I didn't know anything about building team culture and I don't know anything about hiring you know hiring um, and growing a team that way and I'm like I know there's like I'm, there's all these processes in my head that I'm like I don't have anything for those yet and um so like my process for that was like, I recognized that I had blank spots and I started being like, okay, well, the first one is I need to look at culture because I've got a couple of staff members now. I'm going to, if we can figure that out at the beginning, hopefully we can keep it as we grow. And I reached out to someone who know, who knew something about culture and spent a couple hours on the phone with them and you know, what kind of things do they do, especially with the dispersed team and like working through that. But I know that I'm going to have to do that over and over and over again. Cause like, as I'm growing this, I'm like, I know, I know about half of what I need to do and the other half I've got no clue. <laughs> so, but, it, but what's, what's really interesting about, about that and it applies to so many areas of life is that, is that people will often attempt to do something 
you know, something audacious, like start a new business. And, you know, people always love to quote the statistics, don't they? Like 10% of businesses fail or only 4% are, in, you know, after 10 years yeah. or whatever. Um, and so that kind of negative social proof is always this kind of predictive force in our lives that almost, you know, setting us up to fail. And so then when the business doesn't go according to plan or something fails, it can be easy for people to take that personally. Like, like I don't deserve success. I'm not good enough to be successful, but, mm -hmm. but not, they don't say this. I didn't have this very specific skill to create culture. And that's why I failed. They don't say that they, they bring it inside and they internalize it as some kind of personality trait, right? I'm not an entrepreneur. I can't do it or whatnot. And what's really important is to be able to do what you said is like, well, okay, it's not, it's not a personality defect. I literally knowledge, just don't yeah. know how to do this skill, right? I don't know how to throw a line, a fishing wire into the, into the river. So I just have to learn how to do that and I'm going to be able to fish. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's really important to do, to recognize that because then it doesn't overwhelm you and, and create a bunch of negativity and it, it identifies what skills to go and do. And I, and I bet you um, that we could go and run through your uh, down history lane through you and find lots of examples in your life where you learned stuff you didn't know before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know it's one of the things that I find most fascinating and it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, both, it's both a fear and it's a motivator for me at least when I look forward and I'm like, I see a blank spot there. Cause I'm like, Hey, I don't know how to do that. And that's scary. But on the second, the, the second part of that is I really like learning new things. <laughs> so um, that's a, uh, I, I'm one of those people. And we talked about this on our last episode actually is we're the kind of people that like, like we like to learn the things. And then once we've learned the thing, we don't care anymore. So we have to have systems in place to actually get things implemented. Um, Cause the actual learning is sort of our, uh, um, learning what do you call it? Part. Being addicted to learning new things was our uh, fatal flaw. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's 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 exactly right you know and the thing the thing too uh, talking you mentioned fear again i know it's been a bit of a theme since we started but the whole idea of being fearless is never made sense to me at all i mean we're talking about millions of years of evolution where our brain has evolved a highly attuned system of fear we've got fear circuits in our brain we have neurochemicals in our brain that are designed to that so the whole idea to be fearless um, never made sense to me. It's like, again, it's like the positive thinking thing. It's like, oh, fear's bad. Therefore, I'm going to willpower my way to being fearless. Whereas what you end up doing is, is investigating the fear and understanding it. And then what you've descri described is a perfect thing there. It's this dichotomy or this duality between a fear and also a motivation. And the two are kind of linked together. And that's yeah. another yeah. A way we approach this thing, thing too. One of the ways we've talked about, right, is to understand what the highest goal for the, for the fear or other emotion is. Another way is to actually understand that you can't have fear without whatever its opposite might be. And so in your case there, you had fear and its opposite was motivation, but you could have fear and love or fear and hope. And you can't have one without the other. It's like black and white. You can't have night without day. Yeah, you and can't when have you can the begin head side speak, of the coin without the tail side, right? Yeah, exactly right. When you can when you can sit comfortably with both of them, rather than trying to force yourself to be in one and avoid the other, uh, that is a futile exercise that people spend decades, you know, expending their energy trying to do. Um, and the real breakthrough is being able to experience and understand both, yet not be really anchored to either. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to bring up something else you, you mentioned too, which was knowing where you are on the map and acknowledging where you're at, right? And part of that is knowing where your blank spots are in the future. Um, but just to, to your point, um, I, I've been working with a, a body doctor, right? Your brain doctor. I've been working with a body doctor about, uh, you know, achieving peak performance in just your physical body um, and how that would affect your um, your output as an entrepreneur. And one of the first things that he did, and it sounds like you do the same thing with your clients, was he did baseline testing. It was like we did a blood testing that was like all the way down to the microscope level of every individual cell and what the healthier cell walls look like, um, and DNA testing and a bunch of other stuff. And we did uh, food logs and other things and discovered like you have to know where you are, right? And it's like found out, you know, I've got a lower white count that I'm supposed to have. Right. It's not none of like if, if it was, you know, normal blood testing, it was like it would have checked all the green boxes. I'm a healthy individual. But like when you look down all the way down at the, the minutia, it's like, hey, your trend line is actually going this direction. Right. And, you know, parasite level is a little higher than it should be. And your toxic level is higher than it should be. And your testosterone level is not as high as it should be. And that kind of stuff. Like it's like all of those things at this point, you're a healthy 34, 35 year old man. But 
the trend line is down. He's like, what we need to do is we need to figure out how you create the trend line this direction. But the point was, you have to know where you are on the map if you're going to change the journey you're going, right? Like to, to actually like map out where you're going to go next. Um, it sounds and, so obvious, but but it seems to escape so so many of us. You know, it's escaped me before in the past too. You know? But yeah, it's, yeah. It, it seems very obvious that that's what you would do. But like, to your point, people are afraid of acknowledging that, right? Acknowledging, finding out where they're at. And I remember um, when we first started out with that, he like, he had me do the blood test, had me do the DNA testing. And I remember feeling very fearful of finding out where I was, right? Um, being afraid is like, you know, if you're getting all this blood testing stuff and find out, you know, you're going to find out all sorts of stuff like, where your cancer levels are and parasite levels and toxic levels and like the health of every individual blood cell kind of thing. And, you know, I found all sorts of things like, like my, uh, my blood cells, you know, your red blood cells are supposed to be like perfectly circular and mine are like lemon shaped. And he's like, there's reasons for that causes for that in your diet and lifestyle and that kind of stuff. And we can fix it. But I remember before we got the results back for the test being like, Oh my God, I'm It's like, I'm going to find out the day I'm going to die. Right. Is, is like the, the fear that was in your, in my head. Mm. And, um, which is, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but like that's the the way that the the fear was in my head was like, oh man, I'm going to learn all these things about my health, and my body, um, and what ended up happening was the opposite. You find out that it's really freeing to know exactly where you are and exactly what you need to do to move forward to get where you want to be, right? Um, and it's it's interesting that we have a fear of finding out where you're at now right on the map so to speak um and and how like i don't, I don't know what the uh, the analogous of that is but like when you actually go through it and find out here's where i am you find out that it's it's not actually something that you're afraid of it's something that actually frees you and lets you move forward yeah it, it does i mean I, I think we could probably kind of theorize and wonder about why why that is the case um and i think for, for me really i mean we, we've all got you know, when you compare our brains to the brains of, um, you know, animals with much smaller brains, reptilian brains, and and you know the whole the whole spectrum, is that we share exactly the same brain structure as them. We just got more and more layered on top. So if you do take the view that um, we've kind of our brains have de uh, evolved or developed over time, it's not like we somehow got a different brain than a reptile or a cow right? or a cat or something like that. We have a brain that's, that's layered on top of that. So we've got all that functionality that's very in, in, in the moment, you know, uh, lo, you know, th those other forms of life just exist, exist very much in the present. They don't have the hardware in their brain to even project out and have a goal about a year away from now and exactly what they're going to do. And so that's the really interesting thing is that's why we have these drives to uh, satisfy our existing, you know, needs right now in the moment, we want to satisfy them. And we've got the, the dissonance then, because we've got this additional ability to think about it, that the impact of that behavior on yeah. us in the long term. And so because that's part of what it is. So that's the way I now understand all those pictures. I remember seeing as a kid, where you'd have the angel and the, the devil on, on the shoulders, whispering different things in the ear. They're really just different parts of our brain. Um, yeah. that, that each have a completely legitimate desire. There's nothing wrong or right about it. I'm hungry right now. I want to eat that thing. That happens to be the food in front of me right now. I want to do it. Or, you know, there's an opportunity to make money right now. It's really easy. I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, whereas it might be unethical or it might not be really serving the people, who, uh, you know, there's not a win-win situation. And so then, then he comes in with this other thought about, well, hang on in the future, this is the kind of person I want to be. This behavior right now isn't going to serve that. And so we do end up with, this kind of ping pong, this duality is back and forward going in our, in our minds. Um, you know, and if you, if you throw on top of that, this recognition as well of, of our mortality, which, which I know you kind of said sounds ridiculous, but it's actually not. I mean, you know, um, think about all the fear that's going on in the world right now around mortality and viruses and all that sort of stuff. It's a very real threat that we face all the time. And it's very natural for us to be concerned about it. Um, mm -hmm. depending on what else is going on in our life, whether we know someone who's just died in a car accident or someone I know my age who's just uh, died of a brain tumor, you know? And, and so when you throw that as well, it's all these non-conscious, often they're non-conscious fears that are legitimate as well, that go uninvestigated, but that also create the atmosphere that we have in our brain, the mindset we have or the, the state of being that we're in. 
um, when we're just trying to start and launch a new business, you know, all of those things bring to bear on, on what's going on for us internally. Yeah, it is, it is uh, amazing to me to sort of really get into like how your brain, your brain structure works. I've been reading uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 rules for life. Um, and I feel like that's a masterclass in persuasive psychology for yourself. What, what, what do you like? Well, what stuck, two things? stuck out for you most? Um, about so she cut so out the, the thing that stuck out to me, the thing that has stuck out to me most so far was this idea of, um, of the duality of existence, right? And so you talked a little bit about the duality in our brains. And he talked about how it goes all the way down through like every story and structure of our, of our universe. Like everything you can get into has a duality to it. Um, and he's like, even if you get into the, the Christian stories of, you know, God, the creator and, um, and uh, you know, the, the evil forces in the world, and you have these, these arguments that go on in theology about, you know, if God was good, why did he create evil? And the reality is, um, in a story, in any of these stories, you can't, like, God can't exist without an other, right? Like, otherwise, he is, like, there, you know, there, there's always got to be a duality, right? There's got to be, if there is God, there has to be the other side. Um, and so you have, you have the picture of good, and you have the picture of evil, and, like, you can't have, you can't have one without the other, um, and realizing like, so we've talked a little bit about that here with, with the, uh, you know, the fear has its opposite and you can't have one without the other and realizing that, that like that, that goes down into the very fabric of our being is that, you know, like a coin isn't a coin if it only has a head, right? Like there's, there, there is no such thing as a coin without a, another side, right? So there's always the duality. Um, and I found that really, really fascinating because it was the first time that I'd had someone like drive it down into every sort of every every aspect of your life and universe and understanding and your stories and like uh, all the way down to like your mythology that's built our culture everything has that duality to it um, and I that mean, was really really I fascinating you you'll find that um in if you were to examine your life or the lives of other people that virtually all struggle comes from them people bouncing back and forward between some duality that's anchored in their mind you know i'm loved i'm not loved i'm worthy i'm not worthy i'm good mm -hmm. enough i'm not good enough you know money's good money's evil it's just a constant duality and, and back to your point about the kind of um you know the, the different religious aspects when you think about um uh, kind of Chinese philosophy, you've got the yin and the yang and they're together yeah. in that, that kind of thing. But, but the idea is that you can't have one without the other. And when, when you understand that and you're at peace with both, that's the Tao, that's the one path. And mm -hmm. the way I've come on, un, come to understand that kind of garden of Eden story is that, you know, um, you had this concept, this idea that there was good and evil, which is the tree of knowledge. But in, in the story, right, Adam and Eve exist outside of it even though the duality was there they exist outside of it and when they were outside of it that's when things were going well that's when there was peace in the same way in that kind of chinese tradition that that when you are have too much of one or too much of the other of a certain duality you're out of balance but when you uh, have both in balance that's when you can find the one kind of path now um bringing all that forward into in into a neuroscience and integrated brain kind of approach is the same thing like you've um to, to be you know, to bring up something really specific, there's an area of your brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, and its role is error detection. Um, it's like the accountant in the brain. It's in, uh, is one version, or a little, the little judge, and it's looking yeah. for errors all the time. So if that area of the brain becomes really hyperactive and really well trained, then you, you can begin to find error with everything. That is becomes your filter for life. Is finding uh, is that wrong or right? And of course, then we've got emotional engagement with whether things are wrong or right. You know, if, if something's wrong, it's bad. If something's right, it's good. And, and so everything gets layered around this, um, this uh, wrong or right, which is, again, another duality. Um, whereas you can learn uh, processes that activate the forebrain that really quieten that area of the brain down. That, so you can begin to think and operate in a creative part of the forebrain uh, that's, that's more active with this, this other area being quieter that allows much more creative, optimistic thought where people are much more chilled out, um, uh, much more able to remain calm in stressful situations. And that to me is the kind of modern day neurological understanding of um, the difference between being stuck in one duality or the other or beginning mm. to rise out of that struggle. They're always still there, 
but not having to be stuck in that struggle, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was the, 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 uh, the other thing that, that really struck me as cool about like really diving in and understanding duality was that like, if you look down our, all the way down to like our cellular level, like we are male and female kind of thing. There's a duality there. And it like, it there, like everything in our life, even our brain, like our brain is separated into two halves. And yeah. Um, and if you look at like every structure in that, that lives right, all living things have a male and female portion to them, they all have a duality. Uh, so it's, it's really fascinating to understand that like that actually has an impact. And then you have to learn how to, how to, you know, look at and filter your life through like you have to have both sides right you can't have courage without fear right <laughs> and you can't you can't have um like it like you can't have love without hate and you can't have all the like all these things you have to sort of understand where they fit in um and you know it gets all the way down to like you know nitty-gritty of like copywriting when you talk about copywriting for your business one of the things they teach you is you have to, you know, you have to find out where your person wants to be, like where they want to go and where they want to get away from. Right. And you have to help take them through that journey from, you know, the opposites, um, things like that. So it like, it really fits into everything. So anyways, I've, I found that whole concept really fascinating. Uh, it is, it, I, it is, it's, it's, it permeates everything we do. All right. Not just in business, but our life, the banking system, um, economics, political structures, uh, the legal system, it, it's, it permeates everything. Yeah. Order and chaos, right? <laughs> yeah. Zeros so, and ones, zeros and ones. In the zeros way and ones. It's, that's why yeah. the, why computers are cool. They're all binary, right? And our yeah, whole, right. our whole being is binary. So um, we've, uh, it's been an incredibly fascinating conversation um, just in terms of like, you know, how our brains work and how that, um, you know, how you can use neuroscience to really understand and grow your business. So my curiosity for you, Nick, is um, sort of to wrap up this follow-up interview. What is it that, where can people come to get this kind of work done with you? Do you have like an X10 entrepreneurship program that you put people through? Um, or is it a book? Do you have a book launch coming up, podcast? Like what kind of, what kind of things do you have that teach people these concepts so they can apply them in their, in their business and really start growing? Look, the, I, there's my website, which is nicklucas.com, but the x10entrepreneur.com website is where they can go um, to find out about that sort of stuff. Um, but also just connect with me on Facebook. Honestly, that's, that's one of the, the main places I, um, I interact with people because most of the people coming through into that intensive are people who um, have either become referred or they've come to know me by observing just how I am, you know, on Facebook. I think one of the most important things a leader can do is to lead by example. And so often I'll have people who'll say, you know, I've been following you on Facebook for six months and, and I got to see you with a real deal because in our particular line of work, right, there's a lot of people who have a lot of promises and a lot of people say certain things. And so you really want to take the time to get to know someone and see that they're authentic and they, that they're kind of, you know, walking walking the talk, so to speak. And so that's what I always encourage people to do. There's no rush, right? Unless you absolutely feel the rush and you want to reach out now, but, um, but otherwise just connect, connect on Facebook and, and, and hang around. That would be probably one of the best, the best yeah, ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, or invite them onto a podcast and have them doctor you for free and learn a whole yeah. bunch of stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's, the, that's the thing. Um, yeah. Um, so I was just going to say, have you struggled with another duality, which is um, being anonymous versus being a public figure? Yes, I, I actually, I, I struggle with that currently um, because for a number of reasons, right? So I don't particularly like being a public figure and I am not naturally an extroverted person, right? I'm, I, I'm, they have words for it. Like I'm, I'm a trained extrovert. I've learned how to be an extrovert in where I am, but I don't particularly like it. And I don't like people like knowing all of my stuff. I have a hard time even sharing the stuff that we're doing on our travels with family and friends, stuff like that. Cause I just, one, I don't particularly care for everyone to know. Um, but at the same time, like I also see the benefit of it for my business. And like, I see, um, you know, if I'm going to be a leader, I'm going to be a thought leader. And if you don't get in front of people and share the message, right, <laughs> you have to actually do that. So yeah, I definitely struggle with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's something I have struggled with as well. But I am on a, a mission to, to, uh, to share my message as well. So that's why it's been so cool to be able to jump on on this um, podcast with you again, begin to share what I'm doing. Um, I just think it's really important information that can be of massive help for people. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I can already see just just like if 
if you were listening to this and you, you paid attention to how you can reframe fears um, and bring them to the highest and best use, I think that is just gold um, <laughs> for, for people like me who are really pushing and growing their businesses and get stuck in places. Because um, a lot of the stuckedness, it's all up here and you can, you can reframe it and move forward. Yeah, absolutely can. Yeah. Cool. So thank you, Joe, Nick, really appreciate it. Um, and for those of you who are listening, let me know what you thought of this sort of show format for bringing on a, a, a guest a second time. We didn't really have an outline for this discussion. We just wanted to get in and really talk about what it is that Nick does um, on a, a you know, real world kind of basis. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well, Nick. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We're, we're glad to have you back on as another hero on our show. That's awesome. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> so to wrap this up, do you have any final words of wisdom you want to pass on to our listeners before we hit that stop record button? Yeah, I do. And, and I, I um, didn't come up with this, but I really like it. And it's that the, where you'll be in a year from now isn't based on what you know, it's based on how you think. So pay attention to thinking about thinking because that's where the, that's where the gold lies. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what is it? Henry Ford says, uh, uh, thinking is the hardest work there is. That's why so few people do it. 